Let's stand together. We're going to be looking at a message I call Living Bread. John chapter 6, verse 48. Living Bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. May God bless the reading of his word today. Is my prayer. You may be seated. Very famous passage here in John chapter 6. It's a very busy time in Jesus' ministry. Uh, John chapter 6 began uh, with the crowds following him around everywhere. Massive, huge, huge crowds of people. And uh, as they were hungry, it got to be mealtime. And uh, you'll remember that famous story. Jesus would feed the 5,000 with just the five loaves and two small fishes. Uh, What an incredible miracle of multiplication uh, this passage began with. After that happened, then Jesus told the disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. That was a very routine kind of thing for most of them because they were fishermen. They'd all grown up around that place all their life. It's 13 miles long, in case you're curious, seven miles wide, uh, almost exactly seven miles, in fact, from the place where they were crossing from to where they were going to. As they were headed, though, across that trip, uh, the Bible says they were hit by a storm. Uh, Actually, that's not what it says. Uh, The Bible says that a wind came up, and anybody that's ever been fishing and imagining a place with uh, very few uh, 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 topographical features around it, uh, not trees, not trees all around, uh, just a big old flat 13-mile-long, seven-miles-wide lake, and the wind came up, and the waves got big. You're thinking, white capping? Think bigger. Think bigger. They got really, really tall. They were almost halfway across. Now, the easy thing to them would have been simply to have stopped rowing (laughs) and let the wind blow them to shore or at least just turn the boats around, go back to the bank and wait for the wind to stop blowing. I mean, that's what you do uh, when you're rowing. If you don't have a motor to fire up, can't fire up the big motor, you're rowing, you just go with it and get to the bank, wait for the wind to stop and start again. Disciples didn't do that. Jesus had told them to go to the other side. And by the way, they were going to go to the other side. We have to applaud them for their tenacity, for their willingness to be obedient to the commands of the master. It was about that halfway point when they looked up and saw Jesus walking to them on the water. They were afraid. You and I would have been too. And Jesus called out to them and gave them assurance. And of course, you remember the story. Simon Peter ends up walking out on the water for a moment and begins to notice the waves, begin to sink. And Jesus rescued him, got him to the ship, got the ship to shore. It was a big night. The crowds that he was hoping maybe to get away from found him again. And as they did, they came not just looking for him. They were looking for another meal. 
And Jesus responded, verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Do not labor for the food that perishes. This is uh, really complicated stuff here for you this morning, so pay careful attention. Uh, food perishes if it isn't eaten. If it isn't eaten, food perishes. It just happens. And you say, well, we can put that stuff in the freezer. Yeah, like you did that ham hock that you could still pull out right now out of your freezer that's freezer burned from last year. How many, uh, y'all don't know that? I guarantee you we could. I left one at my daddy's house yesterday because uh, I didn't want to bring it home and put it in there with the other one that's still there. I can't even feed them to my dog. It doesn't agree with her stomach anymore, um, which is odd when you think about it. Food perishes if it isn't eaten, our efforts to preserve it only last so long. You say, we can can it. Check the expiration dates on some of your cans in your uh, cabinets when you go home. Uh, food perishes when it isn't eaten. We are high-tech people, and we can keep it around for a long time. Uh, that's something that couldn't happen, of course, in Jesus' day. Uh, but there's a second part to that story, and that is that food perishes even when it is eaten. I mean, it goes through the digestive process and then it's gone. What we eat today will be gone tomorrow. Food perishes even when it is eaten. And even when we eat and we're full, in just a few hours, we're going to be eating again, whether we're hungry or not. It just happens. So when Jesus was dealing then with this crowd who saw him only as a means for meeting their physical needs, and that's exactly what he was seeing, <clears throat> he knew that those physical needs are endless. They are impossible to satisfy except for a short time. And it leaves us then very demanding from God's perspective. Look at how it plays out, verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore said they to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? I guess they had slept through that lunch he fed them with the day before. Five barley loaves, two small fishes, 5,000 people plus eight. What sign will you give us? Hmm, I guess they missed that one. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, these folks know their Bible. Now, they weren't interpreting it very well, but they knew exactly what it said. You know, the people followed Moses. Moses was leading them out of bondage, and, and Moses gave them the bread to heaven from heaven to eat. Moses fed them. They followed him, and Moses fed them. 
But Jesus said to them, verse 32, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. They're still at it. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, God, not Moses, had given them that bread from heaven. And that tells us that the bread that Jesus is talking about, this living bread, is a supernatural bread because it came from heaven. That manna in the wilderness so long ago, that was just a picture, a type of Jesus as the true bread that God the Father was giving to us. Then Jesus said in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Remember what we said? Uh, food perishes when it isn't eaten. Food perishes when it is eaten. And those who eat it perish. In fact, if you eat enough of it, you'll perish sooner. Amen? I mean, we can, we can eat ourselves to death. They said, preach, you might want to look in the mirror when you get home. Listen, I know, I know, I know. This is, I know the struggle well. This isn't a popular kind of thing to preach about on a day that we're going to eat like we're all going to eat tonight. And I mean, this whole holiday, only in America will we have a holiday de designated to eating. But uh, uh, here we are, Thanksgiving. How much can you eat? A whole lot. A whole lot. But Jesus was calling not for supernatural bread, the bread that came from heaven, even the manna, those who ate the manna died. In fact, most of them died in the wilderness Never made it to the promised land. But the bread that Jesus is talking about is spiritual bread. We know that because he presents himself as the one who gives life. And he makes it abundantly clear that he gives life to those then who believe on him, those who receive him. And he also presents this as satisfying bread because those who come to him will never hunger. Those who believe on him, he said, will never thirst. We're reminded of what he said to the woman at the well. When he said, whosoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never, not never thirst again. <coughs> There's no need for Jesus to keep feeding them. That's what they'd ask. Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Be like Moses. Give us this bread every day, every day, every day. But no, Jesus said, I'm the true bread. And once you eat this bread again, it's satisfying. It satisfies that hunger and it satisfies it eternally. You'll never need to eat this again. Churches today must learn about this. Adrian Rogers said long ago, men need more than soap and soup. They need salvation. And if all we're doing is giving them soap and soup, not giving them salvation, not giving them the gospel, then we're not doing what God has called us to do. Yes, there are times when we uh, provide things here at our church and, and uh, we open things up to the community. Maybe we feed people, but listen, our goal is always the same. We don't want to just give people a meal. We want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus knew if you feed people lunch today, they'll show up tomorrow and won't, where's my lunch? That's the way it goes. If that's all it is, they might even quote you some Bible verses. These people did. They were very demanding. But no, Jesus said, I'm here to give you that true bread from heaven that gives eternal life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a food that we could eat and never have to eat again? A drink we could drink, never have to drink again. If we added in just hypothetically this morning, the added blessing that maybe that food would guarantee you another 50 years of life, disease-free. Guarantee you, this, here's a food. When you eat it, you'll never have to eat again. Once fed, always fed. Never have to eat again. And it will guarantee you, let's say just the measly number, 50 years. 50 years. By the way, it'll heal whatever illness you've got. Whatever. Cancer, heart attack, stroke, whatever. Heal them all. 50 years. If we had a food like that, the world would be beating a path to our door. How much would people pay? Would they kill for it? I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't some big business somewhere that wouldn't try to buy it out and keep it away from everybody. 50 years. Jesus offers much, much more than that. Food perishes. They who eat it perish. But the bread of life gives eternal life to those who eat it. This calls Jesus then to address the obvious. That there were many people in this crowd who were not at all interested in the bread that he was offering them. They were interested in the bread that perishes, but not in the bread of life. In verse 66, in fact, at the end of the chapter, you'll see from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Crowds left him in their rejection. This, you see, is the great paradox of this passage. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Now, bread appeals to us on many levels. It looks good. It smells good. It makes our mouth water. It makes our bellies rumble. It'd be one thing if a person couldn't see, smell it, or hear it. But once you know it's there, and you know it will satisfy your hunger, why not eat it? Why would people reject it? Jesus doesn't leave us to wonder. Verse 37 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. That's the first of three times that he makes that statement, I will raise it up at the last day. Three times this passage. We'll see them all. That's the first. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Two statements about the will of God. This is what God, this is the will of God. Now, men have been arguing about the meaning of these verses for centuries, and I don't even begin to think that I'm going to settle all their arguments or answer all the questions that have been raised in the limited amount of time that we're going to use to consider this today. But he presents two telling statements about God's will in this passage. First of all, he says, God's will is that Jesus would lose nothing of those that God had given him and that all of them would be raised up. And that means resurrected or raptured at the last day. And he plainly declares that all of those, all of those uh, will come to him and that all of them will be raised up at the last day. Jesus is not going to lose any of them, not a one. Not a one. If you have received this living bread today, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have received him, it is because you came to Jesus, you believed on Jesus, you saw him, and you believed on him. And Jesus then tells us that you have come to him, and you have believed on him, and you will in no wise then be cast out. Isn't that good news? You've come to him, you've believed on him, and you will not be cast out. This is the will of God that I should lose nothing. Do you see how that the operation of that passage is all about what God the Father has willed and what Jesus the Son is fulfilling? Do you see that? But Jesus didn't stop there. There's a great big old and in that passage. And. And. This is the will of him who sent me. Another statement about God's will. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And this is God's will then. That those who see Jesus would see him as what he is, the living bread, and receive him so that they might have eternal life. Did Jesus says that this is God's will? He absolutely does. Everyone, everyone who sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, what makes that very interesting 
It's what he had just said in verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And this passage right there in white and black and red tells us very plainly that it is God's will that everybody who sees Jesus believes on him. Everyone is right there. But not everybody who sees Jesus will believe on him. I didn't say that. Jesus did. It's God's will that everyone who sees would believe. But some don't. Some don't. Now, people today are writing great volumes about God's will in salvation and trying to explain all that God does. And quite frankly, a whole lot of what is being written is nonsense at best and sometimes it's flat-out heresy. I don't think that there's anybody anywhere who actually uh, thinks about it and considers it carefully. I don't think anybody would actually believe that God sits in heaven waiting to see who is going to believe on Him and who isn't. We don't believe that. Is God up there wondering whether people are going to be saved or not? Of course not. Of course not. Does God have foreknowledge or not? Of course He does. So God does not sit in heaven wondering whether people are going to believe on Him or not. But down here, that's exactly what we do. I preach the gospel every Sunday, wondering whether people are going to believe or not, or whether they'll walk out that door and say no to Jesus. I preach the living bread, Jesus Christ, the gospel that gives you everlasting life. And I wonder whether or not people will eat it. I don't know. I know God wants them to because Jesus Christ said so. This is the Father's will that everyone who sees me would believe on me. But he has already told us that these people had seen him and didn't believe. Thus they were not fulfilling the will of God. Jesus does. God's will, there it is. He said it over and over again, even in this passage. I'm doing what God wills for me to do. God's will for me is that I would lose nothing. <laughs> I'm not going to lose them. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. I will raise them up at the last day. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I, I'm doing the will of God. But people, people don't always do God's will. The third time then that he makes a statement is in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. There it is again. I will raise him up at the last day. What's that mean? It means that nobody stumbles their way into being saved. 
Nobody's going to study their way to be saved. Nobody is ever going to be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God drawing us to Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit then, the Father does His work, Jesus the Son is doing His work, the Holy Spirit then is doing His work. It is only men who sometimes see and not believe. I make no effort this morning to try to explain all these passages to fit into my ideas or anybody else's ideas. I'm just not going to play that game. I simply want to wrap it up like Jesus did. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. (laughs) Amen. Amen. He who believes in me has everlasting life. I understand that. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. He who believes in me has Everlasting life. Back in the summer, I preached on the leaven. Jesus compared the kingdom to leaven, and I said, man, it'd be great if I had some yeast rolls. My wife made some yesterday. I hid one. (laughs) Oops, sorry about that, Wilma. Don't tell <clears throat> had a crumb fly out. I thought about trying to see if I could duplicate that miracle, you know, just kind of. No, no, I could. I, I, believe you me, I, I couldn't give you all even a crumb. But I can assure you it, it looks good, not as good now since I stuck my thumb in it. It smells good. Remember, if I, if I could offer you a bread... That add 50 years of life, give you 50 more years guaranteed. Take away all your sickness, every bit of it. Anything wrong with you, gone. For 50 years, you'll not get a disease. I can't guarantee you what had happened out there on the freeway. You know as well as I do, people are crazy out there. Amen? I'm, that's crazy. I can't guarantee you wouldn't get killed in a car wreck, but I can guarantee you 50 years. Looks good, smells good, tastes good. It'll guarantee you 50 years of life. If I had a bread like that, would we eat it? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this is the bread. He himself is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I've done everything in my power today to show you the bread of life. But everything in my power is not nearly enough. Because God the Holy Spirit has to take His Word and convict that truth to our hearts so that we'll see that Jesus is the bread of life and believe on Him. Have you done that? Have you trusted Him as your 
eternal life giver? Have you received the bread of life? If you haven't, this is your moment. Let's stand together, please.